It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Live here on the Worldwide Sports Network on this Wednesday, October the 20th. Everybody remember to go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore rates. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Live here on the Worldwide Sports Network. I got an action jam-packed show. I'm going to talk about Aaron Rodgers telling the Chicago Bears fans that he owns the Chicago Bears. Also, later on the show, I'm going to talk about how dominant the Arizona Cardinals have been so far this season after their very impressive win over the Cleveland Browns, uh, 37-14 in Cleveland. So I got an action jam-packed show. But we begin in the NBA as we had opening night last night out at Staples Center in L.A. as the Golden State Warriors beat the L.A. Lakers 121 to 113 for the game. Steph Curry, he struggled shooting from the floor. He shot five of 19 from the floor. He had 21 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. So he did drop a triple double for the Lakers. LeBron James, he had 34 points, 11 rebounds, five assists. I'm sorry, Steph Curry shot five of 21 from the floor and he shot two of eight from three point range. So my biggest takeaway from the game last night, opening night, y'all know the Lakers had a lot of off season additions. They traded for Russell Westbrook in the off season. They signed Carmelo Anthony in free agency. Also brought back Dwight Howard, signed Malik, Malik Monk. Uh, you know, they had a bunch of Ray Rondo got brought back as well. They had a bunch of off season additions to the team. So. My biggest takeaway from the game last night is Russell Westbrook and how he looked out of place in the opener last night against the Golden State Warriors. Last night, Russell Westbrook, he had only eight points, shot four of 13 from the floor. He had five rebounds, four assists, but he had four crucial turnovers. And the Lakers were a minus 23 in Westbrook's 35 minutes that he played. They were a plus 16 in the minutes when he was on the bench. So, you know, when the Lakers traded for Russell Westbrook, everyone talked about how are Russell Westbrook and LeBron James going to fit Russell Westbrook throughout the course of his career. He has dominated the basketball. And he's always been either the first or second option on a team. On this Lakers team, he is the third option behind LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So it was going to be a major adjustment for Russell Westbrook. And the biggest issue is Westbrook can't shoot. And being on this Lakers team, because we know LeBron James is ball dominant and is a playmaker and has to have the ball in his hands, that means Russell Westbrook has to play off the ball. But when you play off the ball, you have to be able to hit perimeter shots. And that's where Russell Westbrook struggles. And that's not his strength. Unlike Steph Curry, unlike Kyrie Irving, unlike Damian Lillard, even unlike Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook's strength is not being able to shoot the basketball. And that's why you saw him struggle last night when he was in the lineup with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So, you know, that's his Achilles heel. That's something that he's not going to get better at. He's just not a good perimeter shooter. And when you're not, you know, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands on this Lakers team, he has to be able to hit perimeter shots. And that's where the Lakers are going to struggle. Also, last night, for seven minutes, Frank Vogel, he decided to play Russell Westbrook and Rajon Rondo. And while they were on the court together, they were a minus 15. Minus 15. Why? Because there was no perimeter shooting at the point guard position. You can't play Russell Westbrook and Rajon Rondo together, Frank. You just can't do it. They both are great playmakers. Russell Westbrook is a great playmaker when he has the ball in his hands. Rajon Rondo is your typical point guard, one of the greatest point guards in NBA history, you know, from a perspective of being another coach on the floor. But you can't have Russell Westbrook and Rajon Rondo playing together at the same time. But as I watched the game last night, and even after the game, after I thought about what I saw watching Russell Westbrook in his first 
game playing alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I know Russell Westbrook is an NBA MVP. He's a nine-time All-Star, two-time NBA All-Star game MVP. He has the most triple doubles in NBA history, 184 career triple doubles. That's more than Oscar Robinson. Y'all remember he passed that record last season. First ballot Hall of Famer, Russell Westbrook. As great as Russell Westbrook is, my takeaway from the game was Russell Westbrook on this Lakers team, for them to be successful, he may have to come off the bench. And I know with a player like Russell Westbrook, the kind of ego that he has, him being a superstar in the NBA and who has accomplished all the things that he's accomplished, I know that's a tough pill to swallow. But if you're talking to Russell Westbrook, you have to ask him, hey, do you want to win an NBA championship or do you want to continue to stuff the stat sheet? If you want to win an NBA championship, Russ, the best option for this Lakers team may be for you to come off the bench. Now, I know that's going to be an issue for us. It's going to be an issue, just like it was an issue for Allen Iverson. I remember when AI got traded to the Detroit Pistons after being in Philadelphia all those years. AI wasn't trying to come off the bench, but Rip Hamilton also wasn't trying to go to the bench. He wanted to remain a starter on that Pistons team, but you got Allen Iverson, who at the time was still better than Rip Hamilton, who's a superstar, one of the greatest players in NBA history. AI wasn't trying to hear, oh, you might have to come off the bench in Detroit. AI wasn't trying to hear that. So we got to see if Russell Westbrook would be open to the idea of coming off the bench because it might be what's best for this Lakers team to succeed. Also, my other takeaway from this game, the Lakers, they had two players in double figures in Anthony Davis and LeBron James. The Golden State Warriors had six players in double figures. That's why they were able to pull out the upset last night in Staples. So that's another key to the Warriors win last night as well. The other, the Warriors bench outscored the Lakers bench 55 to 29. So that's a plus 26 for the Warriors in bench points. It's going to be tough for the Lakers to be able to win games when your bench players aren't producing, like Carmelo Anthony, you know, like Malik Monk, like Dwight Howard, like Avery Bradley, although Avery Bradley came in and he had six points, hit two three-point shots in the fourth. Very, very impressive and only eight minutes of action. But Warriors plus 26 with bench points, that's the recipe for a team to be able to pull off an upset even going up against a juggernaut in the L.A. Lakers. Also, the Warriors, they shot better from the free throw line than the Lakers in this game. The Warriors, they went 25 of 30 from the free throw line, shot 83%. The Lakers shot 9 of 19 from the free throw line, 47%, which isn't good. That's not good. Anthony Davis, last night from the free throw line, he shot 2 of 7. You got to shoot better from the free throw line, AD. You know you're one of the best players in NBA history. And teams' only chance of stopping you is fouling you. So you have to be able to hit your free throw shots at an elite rate for the Lakers to be successful. LeBron James, he went 5 of 11. I'm sorry, he shot 3 of 6 from the free throw line. So he missed three free throws as well. Carmelo Anthony, my man, he went 1 of 2 from the free throw line. And then for whatever reason on the free throw that he missed, he didn't even attempt the free throw. I don't know what the hell was happening on that free throw attempt by Melo. That got to be a legitimate candidate for Shaq in the Fool. That's how bad it was. I don't know what Melo was thinking. Like it's, it's like he thought he was shooting his free throw shot, and he didn't, for whatever reason, it didn't go all the way through. I don't know what happened there, but the Warriors shot better from the free throw line than the Lakers. So that was another key for the Warriors' win. Also, I thought it was amazing how the Warriors, who are considered a jump shooting team, I mean, when you got the likes of Klay Thompson and Steph Curry, two of the greatest shooters in NBA history, and then you got Andre Iguodala who can hit big-time perimeter shots at key moments in games, 
you would think that the Lakers with the big team like they have, when you got Dwight Howard at center, you got DeAndre Jordan also playing center and Anthony Davis, you would think the Lakers would out rebound the Golden State Warriors, but that's not what happened last night. The Warriors out rebounded the Lakers 50 to 45 last night. And if you're a team like the Lakers, you have to win on the boards. That's why you brought back a Dwight Howard. That's why you signed a DeAndre Jordan in free agency. So I thought that was also something that was key that helped the Warriors win this game. That was key, man. Like, and then, it, like I said, in the fourth quarter, the Lakers gave up 38 points. They gave up 38 points to the Golden State Warriors. You're not going to win in the NBA when you're giving up 38 points in the fourth quarter. And honestly, watching the game, earlier in the game, the Warriors, they missed a lot of open shots. Like the game could have gotten away from the Lakers much earlier than it did. But the Warriors, they were missing a lot of open shots. But I get a lot of credit to the Golden State Warriors because the fact that the Golden State Warriors were able to pull this off in a game where Steph Curry only has 21 points, but he shot 5 of 21 from the floor, 2 of 8 from three-point range, that's, that's an amazing accomplishment for this Golden State Warriors team, a team that has championship expectations, especially once Klay Thompson returns back to the lineup. But if you are the Los Angeles Lakers, that has to give you a cause for concern because Steph Curry didn't have the best game. He really, really didn't. Now, one of their key contributors in this game, Balenka, he came off the bench for the Warriors. He had 15 points. You know, he shot 4 of 10 from the floor overall. You know, he had some very, very key shots, you know, for the Warriors. But I, I liked how Jordan Poole, he dropped 20 points for the Warriors. and then. You know, you also had Iguodala with 12 points. So they had a lot of players in double figures, six players in double figures for the Warriors, only two players for the Lakers. And you know what's so crazy is when you look at the box score in this game, given the fact that Anthony Davis and LeBron James, the Lakers' two best players, play at a very, very high level, and the Warriors' best player, Steph Curry, didn't play well at all and played like trash, in the, you know, in the words of Steph Curry himself, you would have thought the Lakers would have won this game. You would have thought they would have won this game. We got a long season. It's only one of 82. Only one of 82. But for this Lakers team to be successful, Frank Vogel, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, they may need to really, really seriously consider having a conversation with Russell Westbrook about the possibility of coming off the bench. Let Russell Westbrook run with the second unit. Let him run with the second unit. Let him run with Carmelo Anthony and Malik Monk and Avery Bradley off the bench. And you might have to start Rajon Rondo. You may have to start Rajon Rondo because Rondo and Westbrook on the floor together is a recipe for disaster for the Lakers. Neither one of them can shoot. Neither one of them can shoot. So that was, that was my biggest takeaways from the Lakers game one loss to the Golden State Warriors. Let's talk about the other game last night that took place in the Eastern Conference as the Milwaukee Bucks beat the Brooklyn Nets 127 to 104 for the Brooklyn Nets. Kevin Durant had 32 points, 11 rebounds, four assists. The Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis led the way, as always, 32 points, 14 rebounds, seven assists. So my biggest takeaway from this game is normally the team who receives their championship rings and they have the ring ceremony Normally, that team comes out flat. And normally, the team who won a championship the year before, they normally don't get into a rhythm until maybe like late in the third quarter or early in the fourth quarter. But sometimes the opposing team, by that time, already has a significant lead, and they normally pull out the victory. But in this particular matchup between the Bucks and the Nets, it was the exact opposite the Brooklyn Nets are the team that came out flat they were lifeless for whatever reason uh Kevin Durant you know in the first half he didn't really really play very well he had 21 points 
in the second half, but in the first half, Kevin Durant only had 11 points. Uh, he just wasn't really himself in the first half. And the Milwaukee Bucks, they came out and they brought the energy. They, you know, had all of the, you know, everybody in the crowd on their side in this game, obviously playing in Milwaukee. And so they, they came out with the necessary energy that you need following a championship that you won a previous year. So I was very impressed with the Milwaukee Bucks. Mike Budenholzer, to his credit, he had his team ready to play in game one, ring night in Milwaukee, to his credit. And also, another takeaway for me was the Greek freak. Giannis, he showed that he isn't satisfied after winning his first NBA championship and winning his first finals MVP. This is Giannis fresh off a playoff run where the man averaged 30 points per game, 13 rebounds per game, and five assists per game on 56% shooting. 56% shooting. That was Giannis last year during the postseason run for the Milwaukee Bucks. He's not satisfied. He's trying to win another championship for the city of Milwaukee and the Bucks organization. And I was very impressed with Giannis last night. 32 points, 14 rebounds, seven assists. Show why he is one of the best players in the NBA. Top five, in my opinion. I'm going to talk about my top five players in the NBA here in a bit. But Giannis was very dominant in this game. It was quiet, though. It was quiet because they had a lot of other key contributors in this game. I mean, Connington had 20 points. Chris Middleton had 20 points. Drew Holiday, even though it was only in 17 minutes, he had 12 points. You know, Allen, Grayson Allen, Allen, 10 points. They are a balanced team, and they are very deep. They are very deep on this team. They're very, very deep. But I thought another key in this game, too, was the Milwaukee Bucks. They had seven turnovers for the game. The Brooklyn Nets, they scored two points. The Brooklyn Nets, they had 12 turnovers. And the Bucks scored 22 points off their 12 turnovers. So that was one of the keys in the game as well. Whenever the Nets turned the ball over, the Bucks capitalized by scoring 22 points in this game. Also, the Bucks killed the Nets on the glass. The Bucks out-rebounded the Nets 54 to 44 in this game. That was how the Bucks were able to win the championship last season. Going up against the Phoenix Suns, the Bucks dominated the Suns on the glass. They did the exact same thing to the Nets. The Bucks, they, they have more continuity right now than the Brooklyn Nets. Battle-tested. You know, they won an NBA championship last season. They've had their playoff, playoff shortcomings and their playoff failures. And the Brooklyn Nets, on the other hand, they look like a team that's trying to figure out how to play together. That's how they, that's how they look. They look like a team that's still trying to figure out how to play together. I mean, last night, they didn't really shoot the ball particularly bad. Like Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, Patty Mills, and James Harden, they all combined to go 17 of 27 from three-point range. That's very impressive. And for the game, the Brooklyn Nets, from three-point range, they shot 53% from three-point range. Normally, when you shoot 53% from three-point range, Normally, you win those type of basketball games. But because they got dominated on the glass the way they did in a game where the Milwaukee Bucks didn't even have Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis didn't even play in this game. By the way, Bobby Portis is my cousin. We actually family. But Bobby Portis didn't even play in this game. And the Milwaukee Bucks was able to dominate the Brooklyn Nets on the glass. So it was a very impressive win for the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, they're trying to get out to a good start this season and trying to go back-to-back as NBA champions. But I think the Brooklyn Nets still are the better team. They weren't the better team last night, but I think in the grand scheme of things, the Brooklyn Nets are still better than the Milwaukee Bucks. Don't forget, last year in the playoffs, before Kyrie Irving got injured, the Brooklyn Nets were beating the Milwaukee Bucks by 50 at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. So I ain't forgot about it. 
I know Kevin Durant, James Harden, and the Brooklyn Nets haven't forgot about it. So this was just one of 82. We got a long season to go, long way to go. But it was a nice start for the Milwaukee Bucks. And again, I think the Brooklyn Nets, in order for them to be successful, they have to rebound better. They have to rebound better. And, you know, I still think they're a better team than the Milwaukee Bucks. And if Kyrie Irving comes back, I really think it's going to be over. I really think the Brooklyn Nets are by far the favorites in the Eastern Conference. They are really favorites in the Eastern Conference. But I still think the Brooklyn Nets, even without Kyrie Irving, with just Kevin Durant and James Harden, I think they should be the favorites in the East. I really do. I'm, again, everybody's going to be prisoners of the moment, talk about, oh, the, the, the Bucks are better than the Nets. They dominated them in the first matchup. First game of the season. First game of the season. And again, Kevin Durant didn't really get it going until the second half. He had 21 points in the second half. First half, he was like, you know, trying to get into a rhythm. He missed three free throws. That's, you know, uncharacteristic of Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant normally is reliable at the free throw line, but he missed three free throws in this game. So, like I said, biggest takeaway was I think the Bucs got continuity right now in the Nets. They still trying to figure some things out. I was kind of surprised that Steve Nash, with a little, a little over four minutes left to go in the game, he pulled the starters. They were down by like 12 or four, they might have been 12 or 14 points at the time. And Kevin Durant was getting to a rhythm. He started hitting some shots. He started getting hot. And I was shocked that Steve Nash pulled the starters and pretty much waved the red flag and said, hey, we're not going to win this game. Let's go ahead and get prepared for the Philadelphia 76ers Friday night. I was surprised by that because you're down 14. You got Kevin Durant the greatest scorer in NBA history. You got James Harden, one of the greatest shooting guards in NBA history as well. And then we we in the league right now where the three-point shot is popular the way that it is. You can come back from a 14-point deficit with over four minutes to go in a game. You can't come back from that deficit. The way the three-point shot is shot right now at a high level and a high clip. So I was surprised that Steve Nash waved the red flag as early as he did in this game. Let's transition. My top five NBA players right now. So everyone knows ESPN, they do their top 10 players, you know, heading into the season. And so I had to do my list of my top five players of the NBA season so far. It's only been one game played, but I had this list even before the games were played last night. And this is this list that I'm going to talk about. This is not including injuries. This is just what I see all of these players playing. This is how I feel they rank in order from five to one. So take out injuries. Like right now, we're not talking about no injuries. We're just talking about pure skill. So pure skill. My number five best player currently in the NBA. He's a two-time NBA MVP. Five-time All-Star, won an NBA Defensive Player of the Year award last year, averaged 32 points per game on 48% shooting from the floor, 14 rebounds per game, seven assists. He was completely dominant in the NBA Finals last year, averaged 30 points per game, I believe, 14 rebounds per game. He is one of the most dominant forces in NBA history. It is the Greek freak in Giannis. He comes in at number five on my top five NBA players list. To number four, he is a three-time NBA champion, two-time NBA MVP, seven-time All-Star. Last year, the man finished third in NBA MVP voting. He averaged 32 points per game on 48% shooting from the floor, six assists per game, six rebounds. He is the greatest shooter in NBA history, and he is the reason why the Golden State Warriors had a dynasty over the last six or seven years. 
the man happens to be Steph Curry. Steph Curry is number four on my top five NBA players list. Let's go to number three on my list. He's a two-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year Award winner. He's a five-time All-Star, two-time Finals MVP, two-time NBA champion. Last year, he averaged 25 points per game on 51% shooting from the floor, seven rebounds, five assists. He's one of the greatest two-way players. He's number three on my top five NBA players list. Coming in at number two on my top five NBA players list, the man is a four-time champion, four-time finals MVP, 17-time All-Star, 27 points per game on 50% shooting last season, seven rebounds, seven assists. He is a top three player in NBA history. He's on the Mount Rushmore of NBA greatest players. He is none other than LeBron James himself. He is the second best player in the NBA. But he ain't number one, though. And the reason why he ain't number one is because this player is a two-time NBA champion, two-time NBA Finals MVP, 2014 NBA MVP. He has career averages of 27 points per game on 50% shooting from the floor, 38% shooter from three-point range. He's averaged seven rebounds per game, four assists per game. Is a very, very underrated passer, in my opinion. He is the greatest scorer in NBA history. That man would happen to be Kevin Durant. He is the best player in the NBA, and he's the greatest player walking this earth currently playing the game of basketball. So those are my top five players in the NBA currently right now. And I ain't talking about injuries. I'm just talking about pure skill and what they've been able to accomplish and the longevity of their careers. Those are my five best players right now. Giannis, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Kevin Durant. Got any issues with my list? Be my guest. Come on, wise guys, on the Worldwide Sports Network and debate with me about your top five players in the NBA and your issues with my list. Let's transition and let's talk about the Philadelphia 76ers and the Ben Simmons situation. The Philadelphia 76ers, they have suspended Ben Simmons for conduct detrimental to the team after Doc Rivers threw Ben Simmons out of practice yesterday. This was Joel B when he was talking to reporters about the situation involving Ben Simmons. He said, quote, our job is to not babysit somebody. And so let me give y'all a little timeline of how we got here, where we're at currently with this situation that's going on right now in Philadelphia with the Sixers and Ben Simmons. This was in June. Ben Simmons, he scored five points in the game seven loss to the Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference semifinals. In September, Ben Simmons, he did not report to training camp. Remember, he has four years left on his current contract. I think he's scheduled to make like $33 million this year. October 1st, the 76ers, they withheld over $8 million from Ben Simmons. This was October 11th, last week. Ben Simmons, he arrived in Philadelphia and then yesterday, the 76ers, they suspended Ben Simmons one game for conduct detrimental to the team. And so Ben Simmons, he didn't play in any preseason games. So in four preseason games, the Philadelphia 76ers, they fined Ben Simmons $1.4 million, and that's three hundred sixty dollars for each game that he missed in the preseason. He has not earned any money. Since returning to the team, October 11th. So that's where we currently stand right now with the Ben Simmons situation in Philadelphia. So when it comes to this situation with Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers, there is plenty of blame to go around in this situation. Let's start off with the Philadelphia 76ers. 
Sixers general manager, Daryl Morey, and the entire Philadelphia 76ers organization, they overplayed their hand in this situation involving Ben Simmons. The 76ers, they expected to trade for a player like Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal. And they have to be able to accept the fact that this has to be a situation where it's going to be addition by subtraction. And teams, they are going to lowball Bill Murray because they know Ben Simmons wants out of Philadelphia. So no team is going to give the Philadelphia 76ers what they are expecting in trade compensation for Ben Simmons because they know that Simmons wants out. So Daryl Morey has to pretty much accept the fact that he's going to have to have an addition by subtraction type of situation, and he has to let go of Ben Simmons, and he's not going to get the value that he believes he should in this particular situation. See, Daryl Morey and the Philadelphia 76ers, <clears throat> they believe they are championship contenders. So because they're championship contenders, they want to get equal compensation for Ben Simmons. But at this point, you don't have any leverage when you're talking to opposing teams who are even open to the idea of trading for Ben Simmons because they know he wants out of Philadelphia. So they can lowball Daryl Murray and the Sixers as much as they want to. You're not going to get a Damian Lillard or a Bradley Beal for Ben Simmons right now. It's not going to happen. Hell, you're lucky if you could even get a C.J. McCollum. And I love C.J. McCollum. I think C.J. McCollum is one of the best shooting guards in the NBA. But you're not going to get C.J. McCollum right now because the Blazers know you are desperate to trade Ben Simmons right now. And they know he wants out of Philadelphia. And I don't believe that, you know, Daryl Murray and the Philadelphia 76ers I don't believe they've accepted where they currently are at in this situation involving Ben Simmons. I believe their best chance at getting equal compensation for Ben Simmons was in the immediate aftermath in the Easter Conference semifinals loss to the Atlanta Hawks. If they would have traded Ben Simmons at that moment, I believe they could have gotten equal compensation for Ben Simmons. I really do. Now, people see that Ben Simmons is acting up and pretty much being a distraction for that team. They're going to lowball Darren Murray. They're going to lowball him. So I, I think they made a mistake by letting this situation linger on during the offseason the way that it did. The Sixers organization, Elton Brand, Darren Murray, Doc Rivers, they should have gotten ahead of this situation months ago and traded Ben Simmons earlier in the offseason. That way, they would have been able to get equal value for Ben Simmons' services. Also, I've been hearing about people saying that Doc Rivers and Joe B made a mistake in their post-game press conference talking about Ben Simmons. You heard Doc Rivers say in the post-game press conference in the immediate aftermath of losing to the Atlanta Hawks in game seven in Philadelphia, you heard Doc Rivers say when asked, can he win a championship with Ben Simmons? You heard Doc Rivers say, I don't know. I don't know if I can win a championship with Ben Simmons. Well, I have no issue with Doc Rivers saying that he doesn't know if he can win a championship with Ben Simmons. Because it's the truth. He is a liability offensively for the Philadelphia 76ers. And the problem is not that he can't shoot. It's that he won't shoot. This man won't even attempt perimeter shots. So he's a liability offensively. And in playoff games, the Philadelphia 76ers on the offensive side of the floor, they're playing Four against five, four against five. 
because Ben Simmons won't attempt perimeter shots. And then you also heard Joe and B say the play of the game was when the Atlanta Hawks were leading the Philadelphia 76ers, 88 to 86, I believe. And it was like three and a half minutes left to go in the game. Ben Simmons had got down in the low post. He got past his defender, had an open dunk. But instead of trying to dunk the basketball or even lay the ball up, he passed the ball to Thibel because he didn't want to go to the free throw line and have the pressure on him to hit the free throw shots at that key moment in the game. Make no mistake about it. Ben Simmons didn't want any pressure on him having to go to the free throw line and hit those free throw shots at that moment in the game. So Jordan B was actually right, just like Doc Rivers was right. And B was right saying the key moment in the game was when we had an open layup and didn't take the layup. That just, that's a, that's, that swings momentum. Like if Ben Simmons dunks the basketball in that moment, he ties the game up at 88 apiece. The where's Fargo center goes crazy. And the Atlanta Hawks, who are an inexperienced team, might not have another push in them to get them over the hump going up against a veteran-led team like the Philadelphia 76ers and a veteran coach in Doc Rivers. All he had to do was dunk the basketball. That's all he had to do. He didn't want no parts of it. So just like Doc Rivers was right in saying he doesn't know if the Sixers can win a championship with Ben Simmons being a point guard, Drew and B was right as well at that being a key moment in the game and why they lost the game. So people were saying that they were wrong for those comments, and I disagree. They were just telling the truth. Guess what? The truth hurts, but you need to hear the truth. So those are my issues with the Philadelphia 76ers, not Doc Rivers and Joe and B in their post-game press, in their post-game comments about Ben Simmons. My issue was that they should have traded Ben Simmons earlier in the offseason. And I think they overplayed their hand. Now, let me get to Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, who the hell do you think you are in this situation involving the Philadelphia 76ers? Last year in the, in the, in the playoffs, ladies and gentlemen, Ben Simmons, he averaged 12 points per game, nine rebounds per game, eight assists, which are both good, nine rebounds per game, eight assists, eight rebounds, nine, I'm sorry, nine assists per game, eight rebounds per game, both are very good. On 62% shooting from the floor, that's good. The man shot 34% from the free throw line. He shot 25 of 73 from the free throw line the entire series against the Atlanta Hawks. Ben Simmons, you haven't improved your game. So for you to want to come in here and be a distraction and act up at practice because you want to get traded, what leverage do you have? You haven't improved on your game. Everyone know your weakness. Everyone know your weaknesses on your game. It's your perimeter shooting and your free throw shooting. And instead of you going into the gym in the offseason and improving on your perimeter shooting and your free throw shooting, you want it to be a distraction and talk about how you want out of Philadelphia, not holding yourself accountable and for why you are a part of the reason why the Philadelphia 76ers got beat in the second round in the semifinals against the Atlanta Hawks. You are a part of the reason why, Ben. You are a part of the reason why. And then, don't forget, Ben Simmons, his scoring and his rebounding has both decreased the last two seasons. And then in the series against the Atlanta Hawks, he attempted three fourth-quarter field goals in seven games. He had no fourth-quarter field goal attempts in the final four games combined. The man didn't even shoot a field goal attempt in the final four games in the fourth quarter against the Atlanta Hawks. So him showing up and acting out isn't going to help him get traded and him not being accountable for why 
the Philadelphia 76ers lost in the Eastern Conference semifinals is a part of the reason why we are where we are. When are you going to be accountable, Ben? When are you going to improve on your perimeter shooting and free throw shooting? This is a league where we got shooters like Damian Lillard, like Steph Curry, like Kyrie Irving, who can shoot the ball at a very, very high level. So how in the hell are the Philadelphia 76ers going to be legitimate championship contenders when their point guard is a liability offensively and doesn't even attempt perimeter shots? Be accountable for your performance, Ben, and get better in the gym so the Philadelphia 76ers fans can feel confident about their team being true championship contenders. It's not to say that ben, ben Simmons can't play because we know Ben Simmons can play. Like, he's one, he's one of the most athletic point guards in the NBA. He's a great passing point guard. He's a great rebounder as well. And we know in the NBA, when your point guard is a great rebounder, that helps your offense flow because your point guard catches the rebound and he can push the flow of the offense and push the pace. As soon as you get the ball in your playmaker's hands off a, re off a rebound, that helps your offense flow at a very, very high level. And that's what Ben Simmons is good at. He's a great defender as well. He's a great defender. He reminds me of Draymond Green. He's a younger version of Draymond Green, although he's better right now than Draymond Green is. We know Draymond Green is, you know, getting up in age a little bit, but He's another, a better version of Draymond Green. But he has to be accountable. He has to be accountable. And again, teams aren't going to trade for Ben Simmons knowing that he's a distraction right now, the way that he is, even though he is disgruntled. Like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta show up and you gotta be a professional. You gotta be professional in this situation, Ben. You just you can't be out there being at practice and not participating in practice when Doc Rivers is asking you to hop in a particular drill that's going to help your team, you got to show up, be a professional, and then that will increase your trade value. So, you know, that's my opinion right now on the situation involving Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers. Let's transition. Let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals, as the Arizona Cardinals, they are 6-0 on the season after their 37-14 win over the Cleveland Browns Sunday afternoon in Cleveland. The Cleveland Browns, they have lost 13 straight games against opponents who have a 5-0 record or better. Kyler Murray for the game, he went 20 of 30, shot, I'm sorry, shot. <laughs> he threw for 229 passing yards, four touchdowns. DeAndre Hopkins, he had three receptions, 55 receiving yards, three touchdowns. Baker Mayfield, he had 19 of 28, 234 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception. So before I get to Baker Mayfield, I want to talk about the Arizona Cardinals for a second. This win over the Cleveland Browns on Sunday afternoon showed me that the Arizona Cardinals are officially the real deal in the NFC. The Arizona Cardinals are currently 6-0 on the season. And in this game against the Cleveland Browns, if it wasn't for a Hail Mary before halftime, the Arizona Cardinals would have beaten the Cleveland Browns 37-7. 37-7, they would have beaten the Cleveland Browns if it wasn't for this Hail Mary before the half. Not to mention, in this game, they didn't have their head coach in Cliff Kingsbury. Their general manager, he didn't travel to Cleveland with the team. Chandler Jones also was not with the team in Cleveland. They didn't even have their center, Rodney Hudson, in this game. And they still beat the Cleveland Browns 37-14. to they were dominant in this game against the Cleveland Browns. I mean, like, you look everywhere 
on the stat sheet. They completely dominated the game. Like they had more total yards than the Cleveland Browns. Cardinals, 352 total yards. Browns, 290 total yards. Cardinals, they went 8 of 15 on third down. Browns, 3 of 10 on third down. Defensively, they got to Baker Mayfield five times. The Browns were only able to get to Kyler Murray two times. So you look everywhere statistically in this game, they completely dominated this game. So the Arizona Cardinals, they are legit contenders in the NFC. And right now, they are the best team in the NFC. So before the season, I said the Arizona Cardinals were playoff contenders. They are now Super Bowl contenders. And when you look at how this team is built, they got a lot of veterans on this team. You got A.J. Green, former Bengal, on this Cardinals team. You got J.J. Watt. You know, you got Matt Prater, the kicker on their team, who's a proven veteran kicker in the NFL. You got Chandler Jones, and you got Rodney Hudson. All of these veterans are contributing to the Cardinals being 6-0 and on the season and being in the driver's seat for the number one overall seed in the NFC and having the road to the Super Bowl have to come through Arizona. They got a lot of veterans on this team. They really, really do. Like, we know DeAndre Hopkins also is a, is a proven vet as well. You also even got, you know, in the backfield, you got James Conner. You know, he's not an elite back, but he is a running back who is solid. He's solid at the NFL level. So they got a lot of veterans on this team, but make no mistake about it. The Arizona Cardinals would not be where they currently are being 6-0 on the season if they did not have Kyler Murray playing the way that he is playing right now. On the season, Kyler Murray, 14 touchdowns, four interceptions, 1,741 passing yards, completing 74% of his passes. And, like, I've always been a Kyler Murray believer. Like, I always believed in Kyler Murray. Like, I always thought that he was a better passer than Lamar, even though Lamar Jackson has an NFL MVP on his resume, and he's a great playmaker in the open field. He's better in the open field than Kyler Murray. I always thought Kyler Murray was a better pocket passer than Lamar is. And y'all remember in his rookie season, Kyler Murray, 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, you know, close to 4,000 passing yards on the season. He was okay in his rookie season. Last year, in his sophomore season, he improved. 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, over 3,900 passing yards on the season. And, you know, he had a very, very good sophomore season. So he improved from his rookie season to his sophomore season. And from his sophomore season to his third season in the NFL, he's now a legit NFL MVP candidate. Like right now, and I'm going to talk about Lamar here in a couple minutes. Right now for me, I got Lamar at one NFL MVP and I got Colin Murray at number two. He's playing some great football right now. He really, really is. And so he's getting everyone involved offensively. I mean, in this game, A.J. Green, five receptions. 79 receiving yards, one touchdown. Also, Kirk, five receptions, 75 receiving yards, one touchdown. Again, D-Hop, you know, two touchdowns, 55 receiving yards, three receptions. I think earlier I said he had three touchdowns. He had two touchdowns. So he's really distributing the football very, very well. And I was also impressed in this game with the fact that the Arizona Cardinals were able to run the football the way that they were. Okay, in this game, they had, 144 yards on the ground. So they were very, very impressive running the football. So if you could run the football with James Conner, with Chase Edmonds, you got a chance to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl at SoFi Stadium in February. So the Arizona Cardinals are legit. They are 6-0 for a reason. This is not by accident. They are the real deal. And they are the best team currently right now in the NFC. Now, 
I want to talk about Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns, seeing how Kyler Murray performed and seeing how Baker Mayfield performed. It showed me that Kyler Murray is significantly better than Baker Mayfield. And he's in a whole nother stratosphere than Baker Mayfield overall. For the game, Baker Mayfield went 19 of 28, 234 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception. But Baker Mayfield out, he, he didn't play well. And Kyler Murray outperformed Baker Mayfield in this game. He outperformed him in a game where the Arizona Cardinals, in this game, right? The Arizona Cardinals, they, at halftime, they were up 23 to 14. So you need Baker Mayfield to make plays for the Browns to get back in the game in the second half. That's when you know if your quarterback is elite or if he can lead you to a Super Bowl, if he can overcome deficits in the second half, even if it's going up against another elite team like the Arizona Cardinals. This was an opportunity for Baker Mayfield to show that, oh, Kyler Murray, I know you are a legitimate NFL MVP candidate. I know that you're one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL, especially one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the NFL, but I'm Baker Mayfield. We got a more complete team than the Arizona Cardinals. I got an elite receiver in Odell Beckham. I got a good running back in Kareem Hunt. No Nick Chubb in this game, but I still got Kareem Hunt before he got injured. And I got one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. But Baker Mayfield couldn't go toe-to-toe with Kyler Murray. And it's the second time in back-to-back weeks where Baker Mayfield has gotten outplayed by the opposing team's quarterback. Last week against the LA Chargers, Baker Mayfield got outplayed in that game against Justin Herbert. In this week's game, in week six, he got outplayed by Kyler Murray. Now, when you look at Baker Mayfield, the problem is when you compare him to his counterparts in the NFL, and the young quarterbacks that he's going to have to go up against to win a Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Kyler Murray. Baker Mayfield probably is like the 10th best young quarterback in the NFL. When you compare him to his counterparts, He's not very good. He's not very good. And that's the issue right now with the Cleveland Browns. I don't want to hear nothing about injuries because I know Kareem Hunt, he was injured in this game. He went out with the injury. I know Nick Chubb didn't suit up. Odell Beckham, he got injured in this game, tore up his shoulder. He also didn't have his left tackle and his right tackle in this game. But that's the NFL. Everyone is dealing with injuries. So what makes you a quarterback that a team can believe in and what makes you an elite quarterback is a quarterback who can overcome all of the the deficiencies that your team has to deal with. I've seen Lamar Jackson overcome the deficiencies for the Ravens. I've seen Justin Herbert in only two years overcome deficiencies that the LA Chargers have had. We've seen Josh Allen get the Buffalo Bills to the AFC Championship game, and they also had deficiencies on their team. But we haven't seen Baker Mayfield overcome the Browns when they've had shortcomings like injuries because he's not that guy He's not that guy. He was a number one overall pick. But we need to really, really lower our expectations for Baker Mayfield. Can you win with Baker Mayfield? Absolutely. But you need everything around him to function at a high level. You need 
Odell Beckham, one of the best receivers in the NFL when he's healthy. You need Jarvis Landry, a nice slot receiver in the NFL. You need a nice running back tandem like Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. You need one of the best offensive lines in the NFL like the Cleveland Browns have for Baker Mayfield to be successful. That's the only way he can be successful. Because if he has to overcome deficiencies on your team, he will fail. We have enough proof now that Baker Mayfield is average. He's not very good. He's average. So let's lower our expectations for Baker Mayfield. Because really, honestly, there ain't, no, there ain't no reason why Odell Beckham, when he's playing and he's healthy, should not be a top five receiver in the NFL. There's no reason why. And the only reason I can think of is Baker Mayfield. Imagine Odell Beckham with Aaron Rodgers. Bring him to Green Bay and pair Odell Beckham up with Devontae Adams and see if Aaron Rodgers can get Odell Beckham to football. We know the answer to that. So that's why you see the Cleveland Browns struggling the way that they are. And I want to talk about the Chicago Bears and Green Bay Packers matchup real quick before I get out of here the last few minutes of the show. Packers beat the Bears 24-14 to at Soldier Field Sunday afternoon. Packers have won 10 out of the last 11 and 14 out of the last 16 meetings against the Bears. Aaron Rodgers went 17-23, of had 195 passing yards, two touchdowns, Justin Fields 16-27. of 174 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. So, y'all know everyone's talking about right now, after Aaron Rodgers scored his touchdown in the fourth quarter in this game, Aaron Rodgers told Bears fans, he said, I own you, I've always owned you, and basically let Bears fans know, like, I've dominated this matchup, this is Aaron Rodgers. All my effing life, I own you. I still own you. I still own you. And then Rogers said in the post-game press conference, the reason why he said this is because there was multiple Bears fans who flicked off Aaron Rodgers as he scored his touchdown. And I just want to say before I get out of here tonight and before I give it away to the loudmouths, Speedy, and Earl Marks, Bears fans, put some respect on Aaron Rodgers' name. The entire NFC North needs to put some respect on Aaron Rodgers' name. I'm going to start off with the Chicago Bears, okay? Aaron Rodgers, in 27 games against the Chicago Bears, Aaron Rodgers is 22-5, and 57 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 240 yards per game average, 105 passer rating per game. He has five straight wins against the Chicago Bears. So you damn right, Aaron Rodgers has a right to tell Bears fans that he owns them because we have the proof right in front of us. Not to mention Aaron Rodgers' career record against the Detroit Lions, 18 and five. Career record against the Minnesota Vikings, 15-9-1. That's Aaron Rodgers' career record against the Vikings. So it's safe to say that Aaron Rodgers has dominated the rivalry against his NFC North counterparts. He's dominated the rivalry. He really, really has. And, like, although he's a three-time NFL MVP, although he won an NFL Super Bowl championship back in 2010, Super Bowl NFL MVP as well, three-time first-team all-pro quarterback, you know, nine-time Pro Bowl quarterback, one of the most – one of his best accomplishments is being dominant the way that he has in the NFC North. Again, 22-5 against Chicago Bears. 57 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 18 and five against the Detroit Lions, and 15, nine and one against the Minnesota Vikings. Aaron Rodgers has so many accomplishments in his career. But one of the more 
proud accomplishments that he has accomplished in his career is probably being as dominant the way that he has in the NFC North. So NFC North, put some respect on Aaron Rodgers' name. The same way Tom Brady was able to dominate the AFC East all of those years in New England, Aaron Rodgers has dominated the NFC North as well. Kirk Cousins, Justin Fields, Jared Goff, for many years it was Matthew Stafford in Detroit. None of them can shine Aaron Rodgers' shoes on their best day. That's how great Aaron Rodgers is. That's how great he is. Don't forget, for his career, Aaron Rodgers, 424 career touchdown passes, 92 interceptions, 52,681 passing yards on his career, completing 65% of his passes with a passer rating of 103.9. 33 rushing touchdowns on his career is impressive as well. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history, and he is the greatest quarterback in Packers history. And this is why the Packers have been legitimate Super Bowl contenders since Aaron Rodgers has taken over the helm since 08. Put some respect on his name, NFC North. Everybody, remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'm Trey Larkins on the World Wide Sports Network. I'm signing off. Everyone have a great night. I'll be back on Friday recapping the Thursday night matchup between the Denver Broncos and the Cleveland Browns. Have a great night. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.